Well, this morning we're in, a, we're in the uh, fourth message of our series, Free to Be Me. And I think that uh, it's appropriate that we have this morning's message on a day like today. Because I know that uh, because of the weather and, and it's just not your normal weekend, uh, you really did have to really, really want to be here today to come. And so the thing I'm going to talk to you about this morning is something that we might just say it's kind of a, a next level kind of concept. Let's take a moment and do a little bit of review. We started on Christmas Eve and we asked the question, why am I two different people? Because there are times when we want to do right, but we don't do it. Like Paul said, I want to do what's right, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I find myself doing that. And, and we wonder about that same thing. Why are we two different people? And then New Year's Eve weekend, we came back and we had a message called The Dark Side. And we said there's a reason why we struggle to do the right thing. We have a part of us that was broken before we were ever born. When Adam and Eve, our federal parents, were in the Garden of Eden, God gave them one rule, they broke it, and they introduced rebellion into our world. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. I was driving downtown, I was speaking at a state convention, and they had a worship service this morning, and without paying attention, I got myself on a one-way street, and I think this is the first time I've done this in forever, I found myself going the wrong way on a one-way street, which was really okay because there wasn't anybody within 100 miles of me out there in downtown. But... I thought about, that's rebellion. You know, that's rebellion against God. Rebellion is going wrong, wrong way down a one-way street. And that's what God said to Adam and Eve. This is a one-way street. You just go my way and everything's going to be sweet. But they decided to go the wrong way on a one-way street. And they messed up the human race. And we've all had the same issue from birth. We all wrestle with that. We, are, we were born with a dark side. Well, last week in Guilt-Free Living, we discovered that Jesus Christ came into our world. And he paid for all the wrong that we do on the cross, that the blood that flowed out of his veins ran down his body onto the ground, God saw that as a holy sacrifice that was payment in full for all the sins of the world. The Bible says not even for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. I believe that Jesus' blood was efficient to pay for every sin that's ever been committed. Now, not everybody will let him pay. There will be many people that choose to pay for it themselves and spend an eternity in hell, but that won't be God's fault because God loved the world, and he gave his son, and his blood became a payment for our sins. Now, what we learned last week was amazing. We discovered that, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that whenever anybody, by faith, receives Jesus Christ into his or her life, then God washes away all our sins, and there is no longer any condemnation. There is no indictment hanging over us anymore. You know, there's a big story out in, in uh, North Carolina about the Duke players. There's an indictment hanging over those boys' heads. And people go either way thinking maybe they should be indicted, maybe they shouldn't be indicted. But you have to think about it from their perspective. It, it, not knowing how that's going to resolve, there's an indictment hanging over their head. And I think that all of us know that because of the wrong that we've done, there could be indictments hanging over us. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, did away with all those indictments. And God looks down at you and me when we have accepted Jesus as our Savior. And God says, no condemnation, no indictment. You're free. Guilt-free living. Now, here's where we're going to bump up a level and go to something else, though, that a lot of people struggle to understand. And I'm going to do my best to explain it. And fortunately, I'm not speaking by myself here because the Bible tells us that God is helping me speak and he's helping you listen. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So, 
between my feeble attempts and the Holy Spirit's awesome, dynamic, unbelievable power, maybe we'll get this together this morning. Here's how this, here's, here's how this works. While it's true that legally I am totally innocent, nobody can ever bring a charge against me in the court of God, I know that on a practical basis, I'm still wrestling with sin. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, how many of you have struggled with that conceptually? Because you say, if I am innocent in God's sight, how about the fact that I did all kinds of stupid things today? And that I have to go before God and say, God, I'm sorry I did it again. I, thought, I told you I'd never do it again, but I did it again. How do you resolve the idea that we are innocent before God and yet still struggling with sin? And here, here is the answer to that question. The answer is legally in the sight of God, in the court of heaven, legally we are innocent because click and drag, the record of Jesus Christ has been transferred over into our account so that when God looks at your account and my account, he doesn't see our account anyway. It is Jesus' account. It is his righteousness that God sees. That is why you and I will go to get to heaven. See, a lot of people think it works something like this. They think what happens is you invite Jesus Christ into, into your life, and then God sort of says, okay, I, I've done with the past, but now I'm going to be checking you out, and you're going to have to try to do your very best, and maybe if you do okay from here on out, then maybe I'll let you into my heaven. But that would never work, because even after we accept Christ, we still have the what? The dark side. See, that's the issue. But now it's an interesting situation, because legally we're innocent, we still have the dark side, but God has brought us to life spiritually. And we're in a gap of time. Now, this is, the, this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. You and I are in a strange, mysterious gap. And that gap is between the moment that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and when we either die or Jesus comes back for us. Let me tell you why that gap's important. Because you're going to have the dark side all for the duration of that gap. God's never going to take that dark side away. That is why you have to die. You know, it's not, going to fade to, it's not going to be fade to black when you die. You're never going to stop being conscious. You're never going to stop being alert or aware. The real you is just going to go right on living. Spiritually, your soul, that's going to keep right on living, but your body has to drop off like a used stage of a rocket so that you will lose that dark side that you were born with. Same thing will happen when Jesus comes back. That's why Paul said, you know, we will not all die, but we will all, he said, be changed. That change means we drop off the dark side. So, it's that gap that I'm concerned with this morning. How, how do we live, how do we function legally innocent, but practically struggling in this gap while we're waiting for the old nature to drop off? I shared with you last week, if I could, had to preach just from one chapter for the rest of my career, my ministry, I would choose Romans chapter 8. And I, I, re, I reiterated that to myself time and time again this week because there is no way in the world I can even begin to touch what I need to touch about, touch on today. What we're going to do with Romans chapter 8, with this great chapter, is we're going to cut right through the middle of the chapter. Because in the middle of Romans chapter 8, God's going to talk to us about how he wants to help us during this gap time. And it's all about someone called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins at the moment of your salvation to function as a life coach for you. Now, that's a new term to me, at least in the last few years. I can remember when I was growing up, a coach was somebody who coached you athletically. 
Then I remember some drama coaches and speech coaches. And, and then I began to hear about people that, that coached leaders. But our lives today are so multifaceted that after a while, we, we begin to see the emergence of what's called a life coach. And leaders hire them, athletes hire them, ordinary people hire them. Just They, they hire someone to come in and straighten up the mess that is their lives. And you can hire all kinds of life coaches. There are life coaches that will specialize in divorce recovery. There are some that will specialize in time management. There are some that will come in and specialize in balance. I, I read about life coaches that will actually come in and teach you how to have fun. I mean, just I mean, people are looking today about for life coaches. One of the things I've discovered in researching life coaches is that primarily what a life coach does is come in and help you stop procrastinating. Because they really believe that, really, you can achieve your goals. The problem is we put off you know, key components of reaching goals, and we say, well, I'll do that tomorrow, we never get to it. So basically what a life coach does is come into your life and say, hey, get up off your backside and go do what you're supposed to do. Now that, that's, that's helpful, I'm sure. Primarily, here's what a life coach does. A life coach helps you reach your goals. They look at what your goals are, and they help you reach your goals. But God's Holy Spirit does something far better than coming into your life to help you reach your goals. God's Spirit comes into your life to help you reach God's goals for your life. You can see my goals are way down here. God's goals blow my mind. God has had me doing stuff that I could never believe that God would ever have me do. God has goals for you that are high, much higher than your goals. See, God, God you, when you set your goals, you think about what you think you can do. When God sets your goals for you, he thinks about what he can do through you. So the Holy Spirit comes into your life to help you with God's goals for you. He comes to coach you during that gap. Now somebody could say, well, wait a minute, Mark. I'm already in trouble here because you've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Or somebody could say, I do know a little bit about the Holy Spirit, but what I know tends to freak me out. So what, who is or what is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible teaches us that God is something that we call a trinity. He is one God but three persons. When God created the world, <clears throat> you read in the book of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image, plural term. Because although there's one God, there are three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, if you ask me to explain that to you, I'll be in trouble real fast. Every once in a while, you know, I'll be speaking somewhere, and someone will come up and tell me, and they'll say, well, I know about the Trinity. It's like the egg. It's like eggs, one egg, but there's three parts. There's the shell, there's the yolk, there's the white. Or somebody will say it's like water. You know, water can be, it can be either steam, it can be vapor, you know, it can, you know, and, and, and so on. It can be fluid, it can be, it can be solid or ice like we have outside today. Those may be ideas, but the truth of the matter is, anytime we say God is like something, we've got a messed up statement because God's not like anything. You can't compare God to anything. There's a mystery to God, determinately so. See, God is not up in heaven saying, <clears throat> figure me out, because the truth of the matter is, with our feeble minds, we could never figure God out. But he is three persons. He is Father, <clears throat> Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. Now, there are those who have the idea, well, maybe there's one person, but he's just like appeared three different ways. Maybe in the Old Testament, he was God the Father, and then maybe he came to earth and he became Jesus Christ. And then maybe in our generation, he is the Holy Spirit, but there was only one person, just three manifestations. But biblically, we have a lot of issues with that. For instance, at um, the baptism of Jesus, you've got J 
Jesus being baptized, you have the Father speaking from heaven and the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. You got all three persons. Jesus in his prayer one time said, I will ask the Father and he will give you the comforter, who it's the term for the Holy Spirit. So if it was all one person, he, he, he'd be saying, I'm going to ask myself to send myself. So no, it's not just one person. There are three persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I get deep, I get in over my head trying to explain this, but I'm going to do the best I can. <clears throat> there have been primarily three areas, or three eras rather, of time different in the way that God has manifested himself in our world. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> God could be visible or invisible. And I don't mean God himself personally, but God could put a manifestation on the earth of himself that sometimes could be visible, sometimes invisible. For instance, when the Israelites were going through the desert, he was visible. He was a cl his presence was a cloud. Or it could be fire at night. Or when the priests went into the temple, the tabernacle, in between the two angels, the cherubim inside the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, there was what we call the Shekinah glory cloud, which was the presence of God. But the issue with God, even though he could be visible or invisible in the Old Testament, there was always distance between man and God. In fact, when God came down, you know, in his presence on the mountain to give Moses the commandments, the people were told to back off and get away from the mountain because God's presence was there. God's presence was in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the holy chamber. But only the high priest could go in, and he could only go in one time a year because there was to be distance between people and God. Then in the second era of time, God came to earth. And we celebrate Christmas. Remember the term Emmanuel, God with us? For the first time, God was visible. God was audible. He was there. There was not distance. I mean, you could go right to Jesus. There were people who touched him. There were people who embraced him. There were people who could be around God. But there was an issue with that era of time because for that era, God's presence on earth was locked up in a body. And because he was held by that body, you know, he, you had to go where he was. You had to be in that spot, in that space where God with us was on earth. But we live in a wonderful time. I don't know that we understand how mar. In fact, I, I really think when we get to heaven, we find out how wonderful a time we lived in and how we didn't take advantage of it like we should. I think we're going to kick ourselves in heaven if we, do th if we kick ourselves in heaven. <clears throat> because here's, what we're, here's where we're living now. It's God with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's no distance because Jesus said, when I leave, he said he's going to be with you. In fact, he's going to be in you. And beyond that, he's not confined to a body. That is why Jesus told his disciples, and, and his, he just absolutely blew the disciples' mind because they thought there's nothing better than having Jesus right here in the room with us. But his, Jesus told his disciples, it is better for you that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send one in fact, I'm going to get into something I shouldn't, but the Greek language, there's, there are two Greek words for another. One is heteros, that means another of a different kind. Alas means another of the same kind. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to send you, alas, another comforter. He said, I'm going to send you somebody who's just like me. But he was saying, he won't be locked in a body. It's like Abraham Lincoln said when he left Springfield to go to the White House. As he bid the people of his community goodbye, he said, I commend you to the one who can both stay with you and go with me. 
Now, that's what's awesome about this today because we've gotten together to celebrate God. And God's with me, and he's with you. His Holy Spirit is there, but he's with people meeting in Africa right now. He's with people in Asia. He's with people in Europe. He's with people all over this world. God's Holy Spirit is present in each one of us. Not visible, but he's there. So now that's the life coach that we have. And you can read about this in Romans chapter 8. The Bible tells us uh, in chapter 8, verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And we saw last week in verse 12, the Bible says because he lives in you, you're not under obligation anymore to do what the dark side tells you to do. And then in verse 13 it says, if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. So that's where God is right now in your life, in my life. He is with us. He is in us. He is our life coach. He is going to coach us through this gap time. Now, what do you need from God coaching you through the gap time? Think about your life for a moment. What do you need more than anything else in this haze that you and I are living in, legally innocent, but still wrestling with stuff? I got to thinking about this. I need three things from God. Number one, I need God to help me make sense of all this and to help me get through it. Don't you? I mean, I just some, I, don't, you, don't you struggle sometimes just to make sense of life? I mean, it's like the kid said, as soon as I figure out the, the answers, they change all the questions. And so I need, I, need, I need God to lead me. I need God to help me make sense of it all. Secondly, I need affirmation from God because I have good days and bad days. Can I, can I get a witness this morning? Are there some of you that some days you feel saved and other days you wonder, how could God love somebody like me? I need affirmation. I need God to come along and say, hey, you do belong to me. Even on a day when you're embarrassing me, and, I'm, and, and, and you know, I, I just can't believe I have a son who's acting like you're acting, I still need to God to come along and to affirm me that I belong to him. And then, number three, I need God to help me. I need assistance. Are you ready for this? This is wonderful because the middle section of Romans chapter 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit of God does exactly those three things. Here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. See that word led there? Just three little letters. But let me tell you what led means. There's, there's really a better English word for, than led there. It means that we are brought along by the Spirit of God. I like that because see here's the thing you know it means actually to take by the hand and to bring. If God led me like a GPS navigation system God just saying hey Mark turn here turn here turn here that would be one thing but the Bible says that God comes and takes me by the hand and brings me to my destination. In fact let me give you two or three other instances where this same Greek word is used. When Andrew brought Simon Peter, his brother, to Jesus, it's the same word. Andrew, Andrew took his rowdy fisherman brother, and he brought him to Jesus. The Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back from heaven, he will bring with him all of our loved ones who have died and gone to heaven. One of my favorite usages of this word in the New Testament, this Greek word that we have translated led here by the Holy Spirit, is the good Samaritan. When he found that man wounded and left on the road to die, the Bible says he put him up on his own donkey and he brought him to the inn. That is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Not pushing us along, not sending us along, but God is there in our lives to take us by the hand and gently bring us along 
to the place where God wants us to be. In fact, many times the Holy Spirit has done exactly what the Good Samaritan has done. He's found me bleeding from the messes that I've made of life and picked me up and carried me along. That is the kind of God and the kind of leadership that you have from the Holy Spirit. You know, he's with us on the good days. He's with us on the bad days. He's with us on the days that are quiet, that nothing seems to happen. But all the time, God's Holy Spirit is right there leading us. And I'm thankful for this. He will get us to the destination. Have you ever wondered, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it as a Christian? The answer to that question is yes, because God never fails. And God is in you, he is with you, and he will get you to the destination. Let's look at the second thing here for just a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. So you have not received a spirit. Notice that's with a small s. You have not received a spirit. Read that attitude or state of mind. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Now, I need that affirmation, don't you? That kind of, the Bible says that when you got saved, you did not receive a spirit or an attitude of fear. This is why I always tell you I don't like religion. Religion tends to be performance-based rules. It's like the carrot out there. You know, if you do this, maybe you'll be accepted. But the Bible tells us God does not receive his children that way. He adopts us into his family. And from the very beginning, he gives us the attitude of the spirit of mind of sonship. When I bring Stephen home from school, he doesn't sit out in the garage and then walk down the, the, the sidewalk and ring the doorbell. And when I come to the door, he doesn't say, Mr. Hoover, is it okay if I come into your house? He doesn't say, Mr. Hoover, is it, would it be okay if I stayed the night? I'd, I'd rather not sleep out here on the curb. Is it okay if I come in and spend the night? Or he doesn't ring the doorbell and say, do you folks have any food that you could spare me? No. He's a son. I mean, he slings his backpack on and just walks through the garage and walks, you know, through the kitchen door and he comes in, he goes to his room, he makes himself at home. Why? Because he's got the attitude of sonship. And that's what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not give us this attitude of fear that says, if I don't perform, God's not going to accept me. Think about this. God doesn't receive you as a servant. He does not receive you even as a friend. He receives you as a son or daughter. That's awesome. Now, here's the thing with my kids. Do my kids displease me from time to time? Yeah, they're human like their father. But you know what? All three of my sons could never do anything that would cause me to say, you're not my son anymore. Now, the Bible says I'm evil as a dad compared to God. So if I, as an evil father, would never cast out one of my own children, how much more will our Heavenly Father never cast us out? In fact, the Bible says, he that comes to me or she that comes to me, God says, I will in no wise, under no circumstances, ever cast out. Now, it's interesting. The Bible says something specific here because it doesn't just say that we have received this attitude of sonship. God goes a step further and says that we've received such an attitude of being a son or daughter of God that when we talk to God, when we talk to our, our Heavenly Father, it just colors the way that we talk to him. Now, the translators, as you know, in your New Testament, what they did, they took Greek words and they moved them over to English. But when the translators came to this word, they were a little skittish about actually saying, putting into English, what it really means. You know, the King James was translated back in sort of the stained glass days. You know, the these and the thous, and there's still a kind of this distance between God. We've got this big pipe organ between us and God. And, uh, you know, 
And so they came to this word, and it just, it was like it was such a familiar expression. They, they, because if they had translated it into English, it would have been the equivalent of our daddy or dear papa. And so they said, you know what, we're just going to put the Aramaic word Abba in there because maybe that makes it sound a little more churchy. But it says what it says. Here's what the Bible says. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and, he's, and, and he, he is God's presence in your life, He gives you such an attitude that you just, when you pray out to God, it's not like, oh, thou God, way off in the distance who maybe likes me, maybe doesn't like me. It is, dear Father, it's dear Daddy in heaven, dear Papa. You know that word Abba is only in your Bible three times? Actually, two of the times, it's the same thing. There's one more time in the epistles where it's the same thing as we're reading right now. It's almost word for word. So really, there's only two occasions where the word Abba is really used in the Bible, two situations. You know the only other person to use that term? Jesus. In the most intimate prayer you ever prayed. In one of those moments where you, you know, you ever walk into a situation where two family members are talking and it's so tender and it's almost like you just kind of want to step back out of the room because it's such an intimate moment that it's like, I don't know that I should be here. I kind of feel that way when I read about this prayer. Because Jesus is praying on the night of his arrest and he's talking to his father and he's agonizing and he's just pouring out his soul to God. And he is going to say to his father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, would you let this cup pass from me? When he spoke to his dad, his father, to pray that prayer, he used the term Abba. Abba. And the Bible says that God, when he comes into your life, so transforms our view of who God is. We use the same kind of term to address God as Jesus used for his father in the garden when he asked, if it be possible, would you let this cup pass from me? Now look at this, verse 16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. Now, I don't know how this happens. I just know that it does happen. Because if you receive Christ, you know that, you know, even sometimes, how many of us, we've gotten really, really, really away from God, and we thought, well, man, I'm so far away from God, maybe I'm not even saved anymore. How many of you have been just in that kind of place only to find God there? Only to have God show up and kind of touch you on the shoulder and say, I'm still here. His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, connects, syncs up with our spirit, and communicates to us that, yes, indeed, we truly are part of God's family. And not just God's children, we are heirs of God. Now, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, here's an awesome verse. Here's one of these verses that you ought to tattoo on yourself if you tattoo verses on yourself. Maybe just mark it in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Look at this who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, here's what happened when you got saved. Because God knows you're in the gap. You know, you're legally innocent, but you're still wrestling with the dark side. God knew that would stress us out. So here's what he said. He said, I'm going to put down a deposit, not only on your eternal life, but your inheritance, all the things that God wants to give you someday because you're his son or daughter. So what is that deposit? You ever put down a deposit? Buy a house, you put down earnest money. You buy a car, you put down a deposit. You put down a deposit sometime. And by the way, what happens if you don't go through? You lose your money, right? 
You put down a deposit, you, you back off and say, hey, I don't want the deal. You back out, you lose your money. So here's what God said. God said, I'm so serious about my commitment to you, I'm going to put down a deposit that I will stay with you and that you are going to be innocent forever. And I'm going to take you to heaven, not only take you to heaven, but I'm going to give you all these things in your inheritance. You know what that, inherit, that deposit that God put down is? It is God's Holy Spirit. God gives you his Holy Spirit as a deposit. Now what happens if God goes back on the deal? He has to concede a third of the Trinity. And it's not going to happen. That's an awesome thing. That God's Holy Spirit lives in you and he guarantees and assures you of your inheritance. Well, let's, let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Because already we've seen two things that the Holy Spirit does. He brings us along and he affirms our relationship with God. Verse 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Somebody might say, well, Mark, I don't know that God would stay with me because I'm so weak. Look at that one more time. The Bible doesn't say the Holy Spirit helps us when we get over our weakness. The Bible says he helps us in our weakness. You feel weak today? It's all right. God can handle that. The Holy Spirit helps us. Man, I tell you what, if all I did today was to read that one line to you, it would have been worth driving on the ice to come to church today. The Holy Spirit, God is there to help you in your weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Or one translation says, we don't know how to pray. You ever go to church and you hear somebody lift up one of those long, throaty prayers to God? People say, that's such a nice prayer. <laughs> you know, none of us knows how to pray. I mean, how many of us would, would say, thank you, God, that you didn't answer some of my prayers that I prayed in the past? I thought I had to have that guy. Thank you, I didn't get that guy. <laughs> the Bible says we don't know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father knows all, who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us, believers, in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good. And here's what happens. <clears throat> I pray. <clears throat> I don't know how to talk God's language. I don't know how to see things the way God sees things. I'm not even sure what God's will is for my future. But I think I do, you know, and I pray like you pray. Oh, God, I need this. I want this. God, do this for me. God, help, help, help this person. And I pray this prayer. And I, God's Holy Spirit comes along, and he retools my prayer. And he takes it to God, to the Father. And he said what Mark meant to say, what Mark would say if he knew what you and I know. You know, God, the Holy Spirit is up there pleading my case before the Father. Isn't that awesome? And Jesus is standing right there at the right hand of the Father. I mean, when they go into session, it's pretty I mean, I want you to think about what happens when you pray. You say, oh, I'm just driving around Wichita, and I'm lifting up a prayer. Man, you have set off heaven. I mean, the Holy Spirit is up there explaining what you would say if you knew what God knows and what is really best for you and what your heart is. And Jesus is standing there saying, Father, I want you to do this. And God the Father is there when you pray. That is why, and I hope I don't punch anybody's balloon today, because many times people read Romans 8, 28, and what they think is that God just takes all the circumstances in our life and he makes them work for good. And I really do believe that that's true, but that's not what Romans 8, 28 is saying. What Romans 8, 28 is saying is just everything up there in heaven is working for your good. I mean, the Holy Spirit's explaining what you need, and the Son is right there to intercede for you. The Father loves you, and He wants to do what's best for you. All those things just work together for good when you pray. Makes you want to pray, doesn't it? That's the life coach that you have. He brings you along. He affirms you that you're God's child, and He helps you in your weakness. And the good news is, you and I are going to make it.
We're going to make it through this gap. And not only are we going to make it through this gap, but God is going to use us to touch other people's lives. And someday when we get to heaven and stand before God, God's going to explain a lot of the things that we struggle with right now. He's going to make it all clear to us. But the good news is our life coach is going to get us to God's goals for our lives. Would you just pray with me for a moment? As I prepared this message today, I was aware of one thing in my life. Sometimes God's Holy Spirit wants to pull me in a direction, and I don't want to go, and I rebel. You know, it's important to submit to God's leadership in your life. And maybe there's someone here today, and you're just saying, Mark, I've been kind of pulling against God. Let me encourage you today to just submit to God's Holy Spirit, because he's going to take you to where God's destination is for you. It, something that may not make sense today, someday will make sense. God's perfect will will be manifest in your life. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to do that right now. You know, the Bible tells us, like I've said today, that his blood paid for all our sins. And his sacrifice was sufficient and efficient to take care of all your past. But you must invite him into your life. God is a gentleman. He'll never force himself into your life. You have to invite him in.